Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Now, in one Jewish tradition, it says this. You might remember that there was a story where Elijah went to, to, um, he, he went to a widow and she put him up. There was a time where there was nothing to eat and God commanded the widow to feed him. And when she gave him food, God just multiplied the food so there was enough for her, her son, and Elijah. Do you remember that story? Right. The, the Jewish traditions, the rabbinical writings, say that that boy was Jonah, that son. You might remember a bit later on. He died. The boy died. And Elijah came along and he put himself down on the boy and he prayed, cried out to God for God to spare the life of this boy and the boy came back to life. As far as I know, that was the first time in the Bible that we have a record of somebody rising rising from the dead. Is that right? Am I right about that? That's the first resurrection from the dead. So this boy, if that story is true, grew up. With Elijah, he grew up seeing miracles. He grew up with a man of God in the house. Later on, he, as he grew up, he joined a sort of a, not a Bible school, a prophet school called the Sons of the Prophets. Have you heard of that? This is the tradition, all right? I'm going to make it clear tonight whether I'm talking about the Bible, which I believe is infallible, or the old Jewish writings. This is the old Jewish writings say that he grew up as one of the sons of the prophets. And so he hung around with Elijah, he hung around with Elisha, and he learned his trade. He learned to listen to God, which is what a prophet does. That was what Jonah did. Later on, you may recall the story of when Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha was down there and the mantle came down. That incident was watched, the Bible says, by 50 young men who were the sons of the prophets. If this story is true, then one of those men would be Jonah who would have seen this happen. And he would have seen Elisha come back, strike the river with the mantle, see it part, and realize that God's, that, that Elijah's authority had passed to Elisha. So, Later on, you might remember this story too, Elisha says to a young man from the sons of the prophets, he says, take this flask of oil, go to Yehu, find him, pour this oil on his head and say, you're anointed the king of Israel. Do you remember that? Now the same writings say that that was Jonah. That was Jonah who did that. And uh, he actually prophesied at the same time. As far as I know, he was only told to do that. But as he poured the oil on Jehu and anointed him, he said quite a a big prophecy. The main points of it were this. Ahab's family is going to be totally wiped out. There won't be one male left in that family. And Jezebel, the queen, will not be buried. She will be eaten by dogs. Now, that is very unusual. Most queens do not get eaten by dogs. But that was the prophecy, you see. The reason I'm saying that is we can be quite sure that Jonah... And and the tradition is that this was Jonah. Whoever that was could hear from God. Because I don't think Elijah told him to say that. You see, he knew what he was talking about. There's a big, big divide in Jonah from the fact he really could hear from God. It was a gifting and a training. And his character was rubbish. All right? He He was not a good character man, but he could hear from God. Because gifting and character are different. You can have wonderful gifts, and actually Paul talks about this, wonderful gifts, but without love, without character, it really doesn't mean much. Now, after he left, he says, you know, Jezebel's going to be eaten by dogs, and and he takes off. He's gone. And all all Jehu's mates say, what was that mad fellow talking about? 
And Jehu's answer, he says, you know that fellow in his talk. So Jonah, if this really was Jonah, had a reputation, a reputation for being a mad fella, for talking funny things, all right? He had a reputation. That's important to know because to me it seems to fit with the story from the book of Jonah, which I'm going to read to you. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, however, got up to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of Yahweh. Can you get away from the presence of Yahweh? Now remember, this guy's grown up, knowing God, and he decides to get on a ship so God can't find him. Duh. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship bound for Tarshish. Tarshish was in Spain. So he paid the fare, and he went aboard to sail for Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's the sums, all right? Can you see where Joppa is there? And can you see Nineveh is 550 miles? Tarshish is 2,500 miles. At least you can't say he was taking the easy way out, right? He decided that if he got all the way to Spain, surely God wouldn't follow him there. Well, guess what? This is what it says next. Oh, I was going to tell, tell you a bit about this, all right? When we're young people and we say, how do we know when God's guiding us? And people say, well, there are different ways of knowing how God's guiding you. You can be guided by circumstances. Who's ever heard that? Yeah, some of you have, okay? And this is what that means, okay? It means this. Joel, gives, Joel says, look, in my heart, I just feel that God is calling me to go to East Timor. And then the next day, God, um, Joel, not God, Joel opens up the, a magazine and it says, it's got an article about East Timor. He goes, that's amazing, isn't it? And at the bottom of the article, it has a thing, special fares to East Timor this month. And Joel goes, wow, this is circumstances lining up with what God told me. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, and it does happen. But Jonah completely muffs it. God told him to go to Nineveh. And he goes down to the dock and says, What luck? What circumstances? There's a ship here that just happens to be going to Tarshish. The Jewish traditional writings say the ship left two days before. And a great wind came up from God and actually blew it back to the dock just so Jonah could catch it. Because God knew this whole story in advance. I mean, he, you want to run away from me? All right, Jonah, I'll just get you a ship to do it. Here we are. Boop. <laughs> so don't be stupid about circumstantial guidance. Oh, look, there's a car with the keys in it. God must be guiding me to go for a ride. No. <laughs> Oh, look, there's a big pile of chocolate. God must, God must be guiding me to eat it. <laughs> so be careful about circumstantial guidance. Then the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship was in danger of breaking apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Jewish tradition said there were 70 different nationalities on that ship, and each one had their own God. They carried them in their pack. So set, set the God up, so, dong, shh, kept it in my suitcase. Oh, God, please save us. All over the ship, this is going on. There's only one person on the ship not praying. Who's that? Oh, for goodness sake. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load, but Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Who's not praying? 
The only person who knows God, for goodness sake. Duh. <laughs> what a twit. Okay. The captain approached him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we might not die. Yeah, the captain was right, wasn't he? Come, said the sailors to one another, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity that is upon us. I mean, this voyage is freaky. They set out in good weather. There's suddenly, and if it's true about the ship getting blown back, and then they go out and then the storm, and the sailors know something's wrong. They know. The only thicky on there is Jonah. But, so they, they, they say, the sailors say, somebody on this ship has done something to annoy his God. Who is it? And they cast lots, which means they start throwing dice, you see. They go, oh, yeah, if it's, if it's a number, you know, if we get two sixes, it's you. you know, just get two, and that's how casting lots works, isn't it? And, and so in the end, they cast lots. lots like, it's Jonah. It's Jonah. And, and so, yeah. So, so uh, tell us now, they demanded, who is to blame for this calamity that's upon us? What is your occupation? Where have you come from? What is your country? And who are your people? I'm a Hebrew, replied Jonah. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid. Not angry with him, afraid. And said to him, what have you done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. Now the sea was growing worse and worse. So they said to Jonah, what must we do? For you to calm this, what must we do to you to calm this sea for us? Pick me up, he answered, and cast me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that's come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea was raging against them more and more. You see, they were nice men. They were the people who didn't know God and they didn't want to chuck him overboard. He knew. Jewish tradition says what they actually did was they lowered him over the side and the storm stopped. They then pulled him back into the boat and it started again. They did this a few times, which kind of proved that Jonah was right. And in the end, the men actually fear God enough to say this. These are not the Christians. This is not Jonah. This is the heathens. They, they cried out to Yahweh, Please, Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. They know this is harsh. And this, they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. And the raging uh, sea grew calm. You see, Jonah couldn't get away from God. And there we are. They threw him into the sea. Then the men feared Yahweh greatly and they offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to him. Jewish tradition says the ship then turned around, went straight back to the port where every man on that ship turned his life over to God and decided to become Jewish himself. Well, you would, wouldn't you? It kind of proves who's the real God. Not the one you had in your suitcase. He didn't do much. Now, the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. That picture, you might notice that the person is wearing flippers. That is not Jonah. That is a photograph. And uh, I'm just trying to think, I wonder if there really was a very big fish that could kind of swallow someone. And there I found that photograph. I'm glad I'm looking at the photograph and not swimming in that diving suit there. But you can see that might be the kind of great fish, a bit like the one that swallowed Jonah. 
What's that? <laughs> Probably did. Now the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God. And this is part of his prayer. In my distress, I called to Yahweh, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I called for help, and you heard my voice. But you raised my life from the pit, Yahweh my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer went up to you, and I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from Yahweh. Jenny told us this morning about the power of thanksgiving and gratefulness. Do you remember that? Who was here? All right. Jonah is in a fish's stomach and he says, I have a voice of thanksgiving. Jonah has done everything wrong and he's giving thanks because I think he now feels secure. Okay. The Lord really is in charge. At least I know where I am. It's no fun being in a fish, but at least I know that God is more powerful even than I thought. Don't forget, Jonah's seen miracles before. It's drastic stuff, isn't it? And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Looking rather bedraggled there, but tradition says that the acid in the stomach of the fish actually took off all his hair, removed his clothes, and left his skin bleached white. So that whoever drew that picture was probably an optimist, all right? But there he is. And that's, that person's put a whale in. The Bible doesn't say a whale, it says a great fish. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> Do you think he'll listen this time? Do you think he will? Oh, Janie thinks he... Janie's not sure. Would you listen the second time, Janie? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> even Janie. <laughs> After that, eh? Yeah, sometimes it takes a bit, doesn't it? All right. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And here's the surprising bit. This time Jonah got up and went to Nineveh in accordance with the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Jonah set out into the city and proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown, is another translation. What's going to happen? An earthquake? A volcano? Probably not a tsunami, because it's well inland. Will enemies attack? Will there be a revolt, and the king will be overthrown? Or will there be a coronavirus? We don't know. In fact, he doesn't even say, all of you have sinned, and God is very offended. So unless, he doesn't say that. He just says this. 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is not a good message. That is a dumb message. It's very poor. It doesn't get my interest. And the reason, I, oh, by the way, looking at that picture there, he seems to have got some very nice clothes, all right? So whoever, this artist didn't believe that all his clothes dissolved and all his hair and stuff like that. So he's... Managed to get some good duds to wear. All right. So that's all he says. This poor message. Um, I mean, that's it. Doesn't give you much to go on, does it? But you see, people don't change because of our cleverness. They change because God works in their hearts. I'm not saying that if you want to stand up and speak for God, 
I'm not saying don't get training. I'm not saying don't put time into preparation. In fact, I say the opposite. Learn all you can to help you proclaim, proclaim God's message better. If you can get training in how to speak in public, get it. If you've got to give a message like I am tonight, do your homework. Put time in. Be diligent. Give the best message you can. Even remember to pick up the microphone. But what I'm saying is, our cleverness doesn't change people's hearts. God's spirit, God's power changes people. I think it's right that we do our best. I don't think Jonah did do his best. But nonetheless, as Jonah said this rather strange message, things began to change. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and they dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Now, when they dressed in old sacks, that was their way of saying, look, we're going to say goodbye to our pride. Because before that, they were all fashionable. But they dress in old sacks and they sit down on the ground and they cry and they put dirt on their head. And this is all saying, look, God, we're humbling ourselves. We're, we're through with our pride. It's change. When word, reached, when word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, he took off his royal robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, have everyone call out earnestly to God. Let each one turn from his evil ways and from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn away from his fierce anger so that we won't die. He may. He may. When God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, he relented from the disaster he threatened to bring upon them. That means he decided not to do it. How would you feel if you stood up in front of a whole lot of people, said this message, and they turned around and they said, no, we're going to follow God. We're going to go God's way. How would you feel at seeing a whole city change from what you said? How would you feel? Jonah felt stink. Jonah was mad. He was very annoyed. Jonah, however, was greatly displeased, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord, saying, Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion, one who relents from sending disaster. Oh, now, now, oh, Lord, just take my life away from me. I'd rather die than live. He's thoroughly ticked off because God saved the whole city. Why was he so grumpy? Years ago, I heard Trevor Yaxley speaking, and he said, you know, after you prophesy something that's going to happen, and it does, and God moves in great power, you might think you feel very elated, but this is Trevor talking. He says, you, I don't. He said, you don't. You just feel like going and crawling into a hole and hiding away. I cannot explain that. I have experienced it. I know what Trevor means. I don't fully understand why, but maybe it's just God's way of saying, uh-uh. It wasn't you, Trevor. It wasn't you, Jeremy. Just pull your head in here. Don't get too ahead of yourself, right? Maybe. But I can tell you that sometimes when God moves in great power, I've felt stink too. You see, there's another reason too that he might have been grumpy. And it's pride. We talked about that. All right, pride. Because you've got to remember that if that story I told you was true, he's been called a madman. Yahoo's friend said, who's that madman? 
He's worried that he looks like a fool, the false prophet. Now, in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish writings say that this was not the first time that it happened to Jonah. But in Israel, the same experience had happened when he'd said to some people in Israel, God is angry and he will destroy you. They listened to Jonah. They turned around. They relented, repented, came back to God, and God did not destroy them. And after that, Jonah was called the false prophet, the madman. You see? This is not in the Bible. This is in the, the rabbi writings and the other books. Now, can you understand that? So here he goes, I've just preached my heart out again, said God's, God's going to destroy the city again, and it's happened again, and gone had hasn't. So once again, I look like a fool. Do you see this? It's not entirely un, without understanding, is it? But as I was saying to Tyra before, when that happens to you, when it happens to us, when we just proclaim God's word and it doesn't work out how we thought it should, the only part that suffers of us is our pride, all right? And we're actually not meant to have it. We're not really meant to care what people think of us. They call me a madman? All right, I probably am. I don't care. No, serious, straight up. I'm used to it. Okay. <laughs> but, hey, that's tough though, eh? Jonah was called the false prophet, and he wasn't a false prophet. He was a true prophet. See, that's hard. Here's another reason why he was really mad. These people of Nineveh, Assyria, they were enemies of Israel. So he has just saved a whole city full of enemies. That's hard, isn't it? How does Jesus say we're meant to treat our enemies? Did he say something about it? He did say something about it, didn't he? What did he say? Yeah, come on. Love your enemies and... Pray for those who despitefully use you. Yeah. Do good to them. Do good to your enemies. Now, the Jewish tradition, which I keep talking about to tell you that I'm not talking Bible, in Jewish tradition, they ask this question, what is this story about? Why do we have this story? And here's their answer. We have this story, say the rabbis, to teach us that if anyone repents and comes to God, he will receive them, and he will restore them. And if anyone, if a Jew can say that, that's a big swallowing of pride. Because to be a Jew is to say, we are the chosen race. There's the Jews, and there's the other fellows. What are the other fellows called? The Gentiles, all right? So the Jews have this real sense that they are the chosen ones, and everyone else is just, you know, like someone else, all right? So for a Jew to say this, for a Jew to say, God will save anyone who repents is really, really big. But that's what the rabbis say this story is about. That's the meaning they take from it. I want to talk about one more thing, and that is depression. In our society, we have a big problem with mental health, right? Now, in this room, I'm going to take a wild guess with no attempt whatsoever to see if it's true. But I'm going to guess that in this room... One third of the people in this room have had troubles they know about with mental health, and I'm one. Another one third of the people in this room don't know it, but if you actually really thought about it, you have too. And maybe a third haven't, but probably, actually, it's more, probably more like all of us, all right? And it makes some sense, doesn't it? Because if I said, who here has never been sick? Has anybody never been sick? I've never had a day's sickness in my life. That's pretty rare, all right? Now, if our body gets sick, I think it's stands to reason that we need to care for our mental health too. 
this is some things I've learned about depression. One effect of depression is things look worse than they are. Now, at the moment, there's a world, a young leader in the world who is being hailed as a new Messiah who speaks from deep, deep depression and says, uh, speaks, with, speaks hopelessness over the world. I want to tell you that I'm not cross with her, but she's speaking from depression. Things look worse than they are because depression does that. I wrote a letter to the church one time, to the church leaders, and I said some things about this church that concerned me. And at the end of the letter, I wrote this. I said, when you read my letter, please remember that I suffer from depression, so things might not be quite as bad as I see them. And when Nathan read that, he was very surprised. He said, that was an amazing thing to write on your letter, Jeremy. I'm acknowledging it, all right? I'm being straight up. Should Christians be straight up with each other? Yes, we get real. So I get the glooms sometimes, and I admit that although I, I'm not nuts, and I can often see things, and actually God has given me some prophetic gifts to look into situations, but I know that sometimes because of my mental health issues, things look worse than they are. And that's something that I just thought I'd tell you tonight in case it's helpful to you. Okay? So there's Jonah. I feel very sorry for him because God used him to save many, many people's lives. But the, he found the whole experience very, very um, down. It, it, it took his, his whole spirit down, his whole wider down. God's final answer to Jonah, and it's the last part of the book of Jonah, is this. He says to Jonah, there's, there's some stuff happens about a plant and so on, which I'm not going to go in tonight, but, but God's final words are this. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Who were those 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left? Who were they? They were the babies and children, weren't they? See, what God's saying to Jonah, even if you're so hard-hearted that you don't care if all these wicked people get wiped out, what about the children, babies? They haven't done anything. They don't even know which is their right and left hand yet. And there's 120,000 of them. So, Jonah, if your heart is so hard, will you at least soften it up for the kids? And I think that's a good lesson. Well, yes. That's the last part of the Bible. No, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It, what? Yes, that's right. That's exactly what I read, isn't it? Except they've reversed two sentences. But yeah, that's right. That's, that's the end of it. And that's God's last word on Jonah. Well, let's have a look. I, uh, I made a, a challenge when we started out. And I said this. If God, uh, sorry, God can choose a lazy, argumentative, disobedient racist 
with mental problems to do wonderful things. And then I said this. If God can choose a lazy, argumentative, disobedient racist with mental problems to do wonderful things, he can use me too. Except I tricked you into saying that, so you actually said that he could use you too. Well, how's that? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the message of Jonah. The rabbis are right. The main message of Jonah is it doesn't matter how bad we are, what we've done, what race we are, whose enemy we are, if we turn to you, you will forgive us, you will restore us. That's the main message. But along the way, too, we also think about Jonah and compare him with us. Not every one of us is exactly busting our boiler to do exactly what you say all the time. Jonah was full of gifts. He knew exactly what you wanted. And sometimes we don't. But God, for us, I'd pray the good character to follow you in obedience like Jonah didn't. To learn the first time so we don't have to get chucked in a fish. To be willing to change, to learn, and indeed, to actually be overjoyed to obey you and honoured that you choose us to make a difference. God, in the time in which Jonah lived, people believed that prophets were the people who told us about God and what he wanted. But now we believe that we, the Christians, are the ones who are the priests and mouthpieces for God in our town. We believe that if you want to tell people in our town something, that it's our job. So I pray for a willingness, an open heart, for giftedness to increase, which we don't often do. But I pray for the gift of prophecy to be shown in many people in this room, that you would unlock it, so that when we go and see people in our daily life, often we'll be given a word by you that's just right for them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. I mean, the last thing I'm going to say which I haven't really got on the screen. Do you know what it is? I've sort of developed a habit. Can anybody remember what I always say at the end of every message? What do I say? Come on, you've got it? Have you? Yeah, that's right. Oh, come on, Gloria. <laughs> um, it's homework, so you have to come back and tell them how you did. No, do it. Taking... Yeah, big hand for Gloria. Yeah. Right. The last thing I say when I, when I teach a message here is this. Let us know how you got on. All right? Because quite frankly, I've got quite a lot to do. I've put a lot of hours into doing this. But my reward is to see people say, all right, I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to run with it. And I'm going to do that. And people do. They come to me. Hey, Jeremy, guess what? I tried what you said and this is what happened. There's no reward for it. Like, I, we all love it when you express appreciation, right? Murray and I and Jenny and, and Mark, we, we like it when you come and say, hey, I, I appreciate that. But there's nothing more rewarding for us than to see you do it and to see our town begin to change as each one of us walks in those things we have learned. May God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.